Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Angie Mazzetti. Well, apologies for the absence, but I've been without my own voice for about two months thanks to a mystery virus and no not that one which has been challenging to say the least however i've been doing some catch-up and have some really good new guests recorded for you over the next few weeks well today i have a terrific guest for you it's patricia bradley a trailblazing executive paving the way for women and minorities on her quest for diversity and inclusion in the healthcare industry bradley is currently executive vice president at strawn arnold and associates overseeing its women in healthcare leadership activities she's been passionate about diversity since her first job out of college in finance where she saw firsthand the roadblocks in front of women to advance their career and education And it's funny, but one of the first things she stressed is the need for women to find their voice, which is something I talk about a lot when I give talks on communications to groups and particularly to women's groups. You have to find your voice. I think that's part of it. When you go into leadership, finding your own voice, finding your network and people to support you, um, but then also paying it forward and, and paving the path for others. One skill Patricia learned in her career was that of negotiating and compelling. I think negotiating is critical, that women need to negotiate and we need to find the words um, and how to do it in a way that's going to be accepted and not feel confrontational. In her work in coaching and recruiting at executive and board level, Patricia says it's amazing how women often want things to be perfect before they will even go for a new position. When I'm going out talking to candidates, trying to bring them in for a job, even if even at the highest levels, um, when we're talking about board seats for companies and things like that, I often have to talk women into putting their name in the hat. Patricia Bradley from the United States is my guest this week. Tell me a little bit about your own career journey to date. I know you've reached the dizzying heights of being at C-suite and pharmaceutical company. So just tell me a little bit about your own journey. My journey is a little eclectic. It doesn't follow a normal path. Um, When I first got out of school, out of college, I went to work at Wall Street. I really had visions of being a a whiz on Wall Street and and meeting my fortune there and being successful. I went to work for Lehman Brothers uh, back in the day and then quickly realized that that was not going to be a very successful path as I had in the first three months asked to take the Series 7 and the Series 63, which is what you need to take in order to get the rights to trade um, and really to move forward in your career. And they said no to me. Um, Yet they did let other people take the test and several people who had started after me. So I realized from that point on, I was going to need to change the path I was on. Let me guess, were those other people male? (laughs) Yes, that would be true. They were a gentleman who had started who did not go to a better university, a better university than I did. Um, They let him take the test. And I realized very quickly that I really could not let people define the future for me like that. So I needed to make a change. And I, I think that's what spurred this passion for trying to help women in the workplace is those early marks on you, you know, you can you can let them hurt you or you can let them make you stronger. And I just chose to take a different path. But my path got a little interesting as a, a good friend of mine who was a couple years older, was actually my maid of honor at my wedding, had suggested that I go work for UPS. And she said, nobody would ever look at you the same again. She said, but there is one thing you need to be aware of. You will need to drive a truck in New York City because that's where I worked. Um, so I did. 
I joined UPS. I drove a truck in the city, a big truck with the double wheels in the back and delivered on a route and all of that stuff. And it, it made me stronger and then wound up going into industrial engineering as a supervisor for UPS working in their logistics business. That was um, some turnaround from Lehman Brothers. Why? <laughs> well, you know, you're really just trying to be seen differently. And I realized that I did not go to an Ivy League school. I didn't have this flashy academic background that was going to wow people into putting me into, you know, big positions that I was going to have to do something to stand out. And so driving a truck in New York City and UPS is a big company with a great reputation that had an excellent management training program. So to be accepted into that was a big deal. Um, and I appreciated that. And I was willing to drive the truck and deliver the routes and park that thing and, and do it all. Nothing um, like on the ground experience as well to get to know a company. They do. They That is what they're known for. I mean, you had to learn how to sort packages, how to load a truck, um, the process you know, for everything. I mean, it's deeply embedded in your head down to, you know, hanging the keys off your pinky and beeping the horn before you show up to make a delivery. But it was not suburban. I was delivering in Manhattan. So, you know, big, you know, packages could be 70 pounds. It was a great workout. I was in the best shape of my life. <laughs> so what did you do after UPS? You must have made your way up through the ranks then in UPS, did you? I actually was only there for about three years. And then, uh, you know, working in logistics, uh, what I did once I got promoted into management, I actually worked to companies and tried to help them with efficiency. So I did coach bags, for example. Um, they were in New York City at the time, early in the history of coach bags. But I would sit and observe their facilities and then come back with a plan to optimize the way that they worked. Um, and through that, you know, you would help companies stay, be more efficient, more efficient, have a better return on investment. In fact, with them, I told them they really needed to get outside of New York City, that the cost of real estate there didn't make sense. And that expanding in that footprint that they were in really didn't make sense. But I did work there. I did a, a mail order catalog. I did a brass company and a few other things. But, um, you know, I realized that this was not my passion and not my calling. And so having worked in a pharmacy uh, during the summers in college, I decided that I was going to give a shot at pharmaceutical sales and I applied and they liked the story of driving the truck. So I did get a job quickly in that and then transitioned my career into sales and worked my way up through that, which is how I wound up as a vice president at a large pharma company in New Jersey. Is that Novo Nordisk? That is Novo Nordisk, yes, and I spent seven over seventeen years there. Wow, that's some <laughs> that's some length of time to work with one company. You must have liked it there, did you? Uh, it was, you know, a great growing organization. I was working a lot with patients and helping to improve outcomes. Teaching, I ran a clinical team. Um, all of the marketing operations and the field team. So we had over 350 people that would go out and try to improve outcomes for patients. So it was a it was actually a great time, and I really enjoyed working there. And I learned a lot. Um, was that mostly diabetes medication? Uh, yeah, they're in hemophilia, uh, hemophilia, rare diseases, diabetes, obesity, um, in that in that arena. And so biologics. Okay. So what did you bring from your experience there? I mean, particularly with relation to women in leadership, what were the key learnings that you got from there? 
Well, one thing, um, I was one of the founders of Women in Novo Nordisk, an affinity group that we knew early on, we really had to figure out ways to try to help each other. Um, so that trying to create, I guess you would call that power of the pack, trying to have women that would support each other. I do remember early on uh, sitting with my peers and saying, look, we, we really need to help each other. And what can we do? And, you know, we need to support each other at meetings. And, and as long as, you know, there's no moral reason that that we're against something that we need to support each other. And it's hard enough to get promoted. I remember being at the very first meeting as a director and I was the only woman in the room. And I remember wearing a hot pink jacket. It was very tailored, very conservative. It was beige with pink in it, um, but wanting to stand out because I was the only woman. So you have to find your voice. I think that's part of it. When you go into leadership, finding your own voice, finding your network and people to support you, um, but then also paying it forward and, and paving the path for others to do the same and sharing what you've learned and not keeping that private. I think so many people think, that you don't have the same problems that they do, you don't face the same issues, and you need to be very transparent. And those were some of the lessons that I learned. I, I continue to learn lessons as I continue to try to help women move forward in their careers. That's really how I, I got into what I'm doing now from that. Um, prior, you know, can just I just, to, Before you go on there, can I just ask you, do you think women are getting better at helping each other out? I mean, that's my observance from here particularly with various women's networking groups and college women's groups, that women seem to be getting that little bit better and just recognizing that other people have had a similarly difficult journey in the workplace and particularly in particular professions. I think it's improving, but there's a long way to go. I think that our male colleagues do a much better job of it. They've been raised that way. Um, they practice reciprocity in a way that women don't tend to do that, uh, meaning I help you, you help me. And so, it's almost expected, isn't it? it you know, it's a given. Um, you know, I, so so in doing what I do, I, I notice some things and there's some trends, right? Men tend to brag about each other, right? Um, they, they give out more information. They share in ways that women don't do it naturally. And I think, you know, there's some lessons in there for us to learn and to think a little differently on how we do things. But I see it improving. I see the desire to do it. I just think that that it's something that we have to be aware of and that awareness will help us and propel us to do more of it um, where it's not natural. And eventually I do hope it becomes a natural part of leadership and women in the workplace. I think there's a certain reluctance with some women to kind of big themselves up and also to big other colleagues up. It just doesn't come natural to us, you know. I, I would agree. I think we, we tend to be a little protective at times. Um, and so we don't necessarily want to put ourselves out or we, we may see it as a risk in, in ways that our male colleagues don't see it as a risk. I mean, they put people forward all the time for jobs or recommendations and women tend to hold back or hold that a little closer to the chest. And, um, it could just be because of t statistics and we're only, you know, we're maybe 20% of the room. And so we're a little bit more careful and calculated how we do things. But I do see the desire for that to change. And I work with quite a few women and meet with women regularly where we talk about how we can help each other, what we can do. Um, do you do I, that as a sort of a mentorship or is it part of your work function? 
Um, it's not it's not necessarily part of my work function. It's part of my passion uh, to pay it forward. I, I, I actually, you know, do a lot of coaching and helping and supporting women that has really nothing to do with, you know, how I pay my mortgage. Um, but you do it as part of who you are. And I think it's in my DNA. I do have one ask always, though, when I help somebody, I say my one ask is that somewhere down the line, you pay this forward for another woman. And it doesn't have to be me, but you need to remember this and do it for somebody. Um, because otherwise, we tend to forget to do it. And so I'm, I'm much more obvious in my ask now. Good for you. Well, doing this podcast is part of that. So thank you very much. <laughs> so tell me a little bit further about your career. So you stayed at Novo Nordisk for many 18, 19 years, 17 years? Uh, just over 17 years. I had done um, a couple other pharma companies prior to that, two startups, um, two small start, you know, small startups, one in artificial intelligence and cancer detection, um, the other one in women's health, and then went to Novo Nordisk and um, it was a very small company in the U.S. at that point, and it was growing, so I could grow with it. And so I went up through the ranks of the sales side of it, then into um, marketing, market access, uh, to the point of pitching an idea to the president. And he said yes, and I started up a whole new business unit within the company. So, um, Talking to other women, I've heard them say, um, particularly women who have reached senior management, that it's really good to get out of your comfort zone and to go over to other parts of the business. So maybe move from finance to sales or to marketing or driving the truck. Would you agree that that's a good way to go, to be open and not to just stick rigidly and keep the blinkers on one particular aspect of a career? Oh, I absolutely believe that. If you let grass grow and do your feet sooner or later, you're just that old harvest gold refrigerator sitting in a kitchen. You don't want to be that. You want to stay current and you have to push yourself. It should get incredibly uncomfortable. And you feel that you just are ignorant or you're, you know, you feel you feel so pushed that you don't know what you're doing and yet you think people are going to look at you negatively in that process. And I think if you're going to grow, you need to be an agile learner and you need to do it to yourself constantly to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, is it yet, hard to hold your nerve though when you do reach that point that's where you need the, the power of your pack you need people to support you you need people to talk to and get ideas from and to bounce things off of and and that's where I think support from colleagues both male and female is critical to make sure that you can touch in and see how you're doing um, and not be afraid to fail that's a big lesson did you get much support from male colleagues um, I did not get support. Uh, the president of the organization, obviously, when I pitched a new business entity, said yes. Um, the One of the last uh, presidents of the U.S. that I worked for was very supportive. Um, so I do think that I got support from both sides. However, I did work for a woman, and she was a strong woman, and she was an incredible supporter for me going up. And I will say, though, up until this point, I had not really had a female mentor, um, I can't say I had a male mentor either. I just had no mentors. You kind of just were flying on your own, uh, working hard to be successful. But as I, when I became um, a VP, I did have a, a female boss who was incredibly supportive. And I think it's through that support, it pushed me to be a continuous learner and to try new things and not to be afraid to take chances and really help to propel my career forward. And it's something I want to do for others. You know, what were your yeah. biggest learning lessons in uh, leadership? 
Well, you know, when you, when you talk about that, I think the, there, there's, a, there's quite a few. One, you, you have to be you. You have to be true. So, you know, be you, be true, kind of uh, a thing like that. Be vulnerable. Be real. Um, you don't want to be scripted. You want to just be open and honest and be vulnerable with people. I think too often people come across as not real, and that's, that's very tricky, and, and you lose trust. So uh, I think that's, that's the first thing. Um, kind that of you hard ne- to be vulnerable, is it not, though? Oh, it's very hard. Um, yeah. you don't if want you to are vulnerable, you're, you're prone to being uh, pounced on as well, aren't you? <laughs> well, that's where I think there's a little bit of, of uh, being really true to yourself and being open and honest, and then not being afraid to call somebody out when they're crossing over the line. That's just not what you're about. Um, and I've had it all. I've, I've had some interesting conversations that I won't say on here of things I've said to people when they did things that I did not like. Um, and, you know, uh, and I've called them out. I mean, I remember going into a meeting room and I had a conference room and one of my peers just basically, you know, tried to embarrass me in the room. And I I had a very honest conversation with them, you know, right after that. I mean, in private, but told them that they were never going to do that to me and I was not going to let that happen. And I didn't let it happen in that instance either. Sometimes you have to tactfully hold your ground um, because you're going to be challenged. But you do it with grace and with respect and, you know, you but you hold your spot. Yeah. So leadership is not going to be an easy ride. You will face challenges. But it's you about will. holding your nerve. <laughs> yeah. So what okay. else did you learn? So you've got to be vulnerable and not scripted. Not scripted. I think that you need to be um, an agile learner and open to things, um, that you need to be constantly learning. And if you don't, sooner or later, somebody's going to pass you by, whether that's your competition internally or externally. You really have to stay on top of things and be open to learning all the time. And that is something that has to be a passion because we all have time constraints that make it difficult at times to do that. And so it has to be something that you are conscious about and that you you make a priority, um, which I did and, and I still do, even even doing, you know, things like this and and looking at new ways I'm trying to, you know, get on Instagram and you know, all of that other fun stuff, which is not something that I did previously. Um, so I think that's a key thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll do that forever. So. Yeah. And it's fun. So open, agile learning, being yourself, anything else? Well, I think to, you know, uh, I go back to, you know, so being you finding your pack, right. Finding people who will support you, making sure you have that network both internally and externally, And I think they're both just as important for the same reasons, right? They all kind of have a domino effect of learning and staying current. Um, I think learning reciprocity and paying it forward is a a key learning, helping, you know, if you help me do this project, I'll help you do something. Giving something back to people when they do help you um, keeps that going, that they want to continue to help you. And then I think negotiating. I think negotiating is critical that women need to negotiate and we need to find the words um, and how to do it in a way that's going to be accepted and not feel confrontational is to be a compelling offer. If something doesn't work, it's, you know, it's not compelling. You know, I like you, but that's really not compelling. It's a really great way to say no or to say you want more. 
in a way that doesn't create this negative or animosity between people. So I love that word. I can't say that I thought of it myself. I'm borrowing it from somebody I heard along the way. But I really do love that word. And I think we need to find the word. So I share it and I share it often because I think we all need to find our voice. Well, thank you very much for it because it's not one I come across before and I have to say I hate negotiating with a passion and I always find it really difficult to be <laughs> to be that that person who's you know looking for stuff and rather just you know use that feminine energy and draw stuff to me but it doesn't work you do have to ask really don't you you do and too often uh, people don't and yet we're expecting people to you know it's like if you're so now being in in uh, the executive search area very often I see women don't negotiate. And yet at these levels, we're expecting you to negotiate. Um, so you need to. And so that's why I really love that that word. And it helps people to find their voice and ask for what they want. Yeah, so it should be part of your skill set then when you're going for, for a job. And tell me, what are you doing now? What are your hopes for the future? Well, I do hope that uh, I can make a conscious effort to have diversity and inclusion in part of what I do. I work really hard to make sure that I have a even slate of candidates, that they're diverse, that I, I really strive to have 50-50 uh, for gender diversity, but also cultural diversity and other things, um, to have it as diverse as possible. And that's, it's not, it, it sounds easier than it is. You really have to be a private investigator and go 90 miles an hour to, to do that because statistically women are at a disadvantage. Um, if you're looking at C-suite, we're only like 21% at best, depending upon what study you look at. Um, but as you go down, you know, the ranks, it starts at the very beginning, the numbers start to separate. And so there's just fewer women in the workplace at these levels to move up. And so I really want to change that at all levels. So I do, I, I'm on, um, I'm on an advisory board for the mentoring place, which is a group that helps. It's a, a nonprofit that helps women in their career. And I offer my time and services and do everything from helping people look at their LinkedIn profiles to what to say in an interview or how to go about finding their their next job. And that doesn't mean I'm finding it for them. It's just fun to do. And Why is it so hard for women to stay in the workforce, particularly when they've had so much education? And I, I don't know about the States, but here in Ireland, there's more women at university, like 60, 40%, 60% women at undergraduate level. And yet they fall away when they get to senior academic status. They fall away when they get into the workforce, particularly past the age of 30, 35. It's not all to do with family and caring um, values. A lot of it is. But I mean, does the workplace need to change? Do women need to change? What needs to happen? Do I think the workplace needs to change? I think, yes, it does. Uh, you know, I remember when I had my son. So I have a teenage son. And when I had him, I was a director at the time. And that meant that I had 100 people working for me. And it was hard. Um, I remember having to leave the office and my boss did not understand. And I just walked out the door and I was like, I may not have a job tomorrow. So um, we opt out sometimes or we don't opt in. I can't tell you how many times I have to talk a woman into taking a job um, where we just don't see it. I, I tease them all the time. Sometimes I think we look for perfection. Um, we're much more emotionally committed to wanting a perfect match in a job where men don't seem to have that same need. Um, I think we have to look at it a little bit more like it's okay to have an affair and not a, you know, a forever marriage that we can just try things. But 
I when I'm going out talking to candidates trying to bring them in for a job, even if even at the highest levels, um, when we're talking about board seats for companies and things like that, I often have to talk women into putting their name in the hat. And yet we choose to opt out because we want it to be this perfect match um, that there's some changes that have to happen on our side that nothing has to be that perfect. The world is not that perfect. Our a marriage is not that perfect. Um, so I think we have to get comfortable with that, but we have to throw our name in the hat. And that is, you know, something on all of us too. But at the same time, we need to be asked, right? We want to yeah, be invited I, to the table. Yeah. I've heard that from other women before, you know, they see people who are, who are ideal for job and they, they offer it to the woman. She says, well, I, I don't tick all the criteria. I only tick eight out of 10. And uh, they said, well, if you, if you filled all the criteria, there's nowhere for you to grow. You know, so it's a good idea not to tick all the criteria, basically, and give yourself that space to grow in the new job. Would you agree? I would agree with that. If you have the leadership skills and you have the drive, just do it. Um, we shouldn't be afraid of failure. I think I think at some point somebody's just not going to like the job you do. And it may have nothing to do with you, what you actually did. You just you just can't get inside their head. There can be un unconscious bias. There can be other things at play. There could be politics at play. Um, it could be a change in leadership. I think we just have to throw our name in the hat and we and it goes back to be, you know, getting to places where we're willing to be uncomfortable sometimes. Okay. So do you have top five tips for us? Well, it goes back to what I said before. I think that's be true, be you. Find your pack. Pay it forward. Be an agile learner and always be negotiating. Excellent. Be compelling. I love that. I'm going to take that away from that. And tell me, do you have a go-to song? Say you get up and you really don't feel like getting out of bed or you don't want to go to the gym, but you know you have to. Is there a sort of piece of music or something that stimulates you that you hold on to on, a, on an important day or a regular day? I love music in general, but I really actually like Eminem, I'm Not Afraid. And I've played it for my son before big games, big basketball games. I've played it when I need a push or I just want to feel strong. I think that's about grit and persistence. And I love that. Um, you know, so I really, I actually really love his music. I, I love the movies. I've watched them with my son. Um, I like currently, because I have a teenager, I like Post Malone a lot. I think he puts out great music. Um, you know, Pink, of course, as a woman, we all have to like Pink. She is a feisty woman. Um but if I was going to say go-to, I really do like Eminem, Not Afraid. I think that's just a great song for grit and persistence. Sounds like it sums you up completely as well. <laughs> Tell me, do you enjoy hanging out with your son? It sounds like you do. And you, do you learn a lot from younger people? I do. It keeps me current. I have a Spotify account that I keep with him. So I try to stay up on music and, and all of it and have him play things. And then if I like it, he'll put it on my playlist um, I miss our drive time as he drives now, but, you know, staying up on TikTok and Instagram and all those things, I think being around people of different ages really keeps you current and something that I, I strive to stay on top of because I don't want grass to grow under my feet and I want to stay current and keep on learning. So I learn from everybody, including him. And he tells me, of course, I have a lot to learn. Of course, they always do. They always know everything teenagers, don't they? Yeah. So listen, thank you very much for being my guest. I really enjoyed listening to you and learning from you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I close? I, I think it, if the one thing is, is pay it forward. 
I think if we all do that as women and help each other and solicit others to do that for us, we'll take good steps forward. And that's what I would really like to see. And I'd like to see these things change, that women have a different path than I had. Well, that was Patricia Bradley. And that's all from the Women in Leadership podcast for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to Patricia and that you've learned something to help you in your own career. If you enjoy the podcast or if you've some guest suggestions for us, please get in touch by email info at womeninleadership.ie or you can contact us through the website www.womeninleadership.ie and women in leadership is all one word. Please share the podcast with others and sign up for the newsletter, which will be coming out in March, with additional information from guests and news from the world of diversity and inclusion. Until the next time, goodbye from the Women in Leadership team and have a good week.